Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Guinness Chug, welcome back to the podcast series, mate. It's always good to have you. Owen, thanks for having me. Today, we're talking about the ETF Securities Hydrogen ETF, uh, HGEN. Uh, we just chatted off air about how the semi ETF and the hydrogen ETF uh, were both really popular on day one. So, um, have you been pleased so far with the reception to both of these funds? Yeah, we definitely have. And I think it's, um, it's indicative one of investors being comfortable with using ETFs. Um, and also investors looking at, you know, these sort of thematic ETFs as a way in which to gain access to, to stocks and, and themes that are really hard to just, from an Australian perspective anyway, there, there's very limited Australian stocks that operate in, say, the semiconductor space or, you know, the hydrogen space as well. Mm. Yeah, in this podcast, we're going to talk about um, the, the hydrogen thematic, um, what it is, like how it works, everything you need to know basically about Kind of the value chain and then we're going to talk about companies uh, in particular can just going to draw out a few companies that uh, seem really interesting we're going to combine that and say how does the portfolio come together for um, hgen uh, and then we'll then we'll wrap up so it's going to be a pretty short and concise episode but it's a really interesting one i actually had a another podcast this morning where we were looking at fortescue metals group and um most people will know that fortescue is the the company one of australia's biggest iron ore companies founded by twiggy forest um, but he's also come out and done a series of lectures and earned his PhD, and he's really turned his uh, spotlight to the environment, climate change. And one of the big things that Fortescue want to get done is using hydrogen, green hydrogen, to power things like um, rail, trucks, and ships to make their services and indeed the whole entire mining industry services more efficient and sustainable. So maybe just to kick things off, Tell us a little bit about the hydrogen thematic, because to be honest, you know, we, we see Elon Musk talking about, you know, battery powered cars and all that sort of stuff, but we don't often talk about hydrogen as kind of like a massive alternative to what we currently use, which is internal combustion and, and the like. Yeah, it's interesting. You talk about Elon Musk and Twiggy Forrest. So, so Musk obviously talks a lot about battery technology, given, you know, he, he owns and founded Tesla. And, and Twiggy is often now more recently is talking a lot about hydrogen. So maybe, you know, Twiggy is trying to become the, the musk of the hydrogen space. But, um, you know, hydrogen, it, it's, it's an interesting energy source because as an energy source, um, it's not new. It, it, again, it's, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's an old energy fuel, um, but it's, and it's, it's still, it's widely used today. But what is really going to be driving the future of the hydrogen industry is, green hydrogen and being able to produce hydrogen that has a zero carbon footprint. So to break it down, you know, hydrogen produces about three times more energy than petrol. And, but a lot of that 99% of hydrogen at the moment comes from fossil fuels like methane and coal. So really impactful on the environment, but as an energy source, you know, you talk about battery technology and battery tech has had a lot of focus and, you know, we've got a, a, an ETF focused on it in ACDC and we've seen a lot, a lot of investment interest. You know, that ETF is nearly about 400 million under management. Yeah, right. um, and a lot of that has come in the past two years and part, partly has been 
because you see government support coming in on a, you know, the technology of battery tech, you've seen investments started to come in. So investors have started to take notice and they're starting to look at it. And you start to see growth in companies associated with battery technology. With hydrogen, you know, what are its uses? And to a lot of people, they call it the Swiss army knife of decarbonization because it can be used and you talked about, you know, Twiggy wanting to use it in um, shipping and trains, so really heavy-duty vehicles. And that's where we see potentially hydrogen being used for. So battery tech is, you know, it's high power, it's lightweight. But so it can be used in, you know, passenger vehicles. It can be used for home, home use, grid storage, personal electronics. That's really battery technology. So there is definitely a space for that. Hydrogen, trains, ships, planes, but also going beyond that, it can be used in, say, the industrial side in terms of steel making or the production of ammonia, which is very, you know, a necessary um, resource in agriculture. Um, so in terms of its main ingredient in fertilizers. So hydrogen use, potentially a broader, um, but they don't necessarily overlap too much. Yes, you may see some hydrogen um, passenger vehicles, you know, using, you know, and companies like Toyota and things like that are very much looking at that. But, you know, the hydrogen applications, you know, are quite wide. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, if we're wanting to get to net zero emissions by 2050, how do we do that? Battery tech is not going to be the only way we can use to, to get there. We need to look at other sustainable um, sources of energy and hydrogen is definitely a, a key, especially green hydrogen in particular. Mm. So I'll get you just to fill us in on what that green hydrogen means in just a second. But just for those of you that um, are kind of new to this, I had to do a bit of research before this. I jumped on YouTube and did some reading before we came on air. And um, my understanding is basically what happens inside a hydrogen engine is you basically have oxygen and hydrogen come in um, and then there's an electronic electric rod, which turns into basically a magnet when these two particles combine. And so when you get those two particles or those, those two um, things on the periodic table, when they combine, you get water vapor coming out the other end. But what they do is they actually, um, this, this rod actually turns into kind of like positive and negative, which then can be used to, to, to move an engine. So you have these two um, kind of elements. We've got oxygen, and then we've got hydrogen combining to create that, that power. Uh, and what's really impressive is out the back comes water vapor, which is obviously no greenhouse gases involved. Whereas when you drive an internal combustion engine, you've got all the other stuff. Um, can you tell us though, what is it? Because I, I feel like the, the actual, like how do we get hydrogen in the first place is kind of a good question to ask um, because everyone knows kind of oxygen's in the air around us, but what about hydrogen itself? Um, and I think this is where it plays into the green hydrogen idea. Yeah, so I think it's good to then take a step back and go, what are the colours of hydrogen? And there are four primary colours. And so let's start with brown hydrogen. And brown hydrogen is, you know, one of the most common. It, it comes from coal. So the process, it's a lot more involved. It's complicated than grey hydrogen, which I'll talk about in a minute. But it starts by sort of heating up coal that produces carbon monoxide. And the carbon monoxide is then reacted with steam and essentially produces hydrogen and carbon dioxide. So again, from a environmental impact, very harmful to the environment. So that's brown hydrogen. So it's made from coal, essentially. You've got gray hydrogen, which is the common by far and also the cheapest. And that's essentially made by reacting methane with steam. 
So the reaction occurs under really high pressure and it's in the presence of a catalyst and it also produces hydrogen, but it produces a lot of carbon dioxide. So all, all of a sudden you've got gray and brown hydrogen, the two most commonly produced hydrogens at the moment because of their cost efficiencies, but they also produce a lot of carbon dioxide. So then you started to go down the path and you talked about now we've got blue hydrogen. So that's your third color. Now, blue hydrogen is also produced from fossil fuels like coal and methane. But the difference here is they've added something called carbon capture and storage or CCS. Now, the whole idea behind CCS is to capture those carbon dioxide emissions that brown and gray hydrogen produces, capture them and put them underground. Now, basically, the idea being is that you can produce hydrogen from fossil fuels without harmful greenhouse gases. But what people don't realize with carbon capture and storage and blue hydrogen is that a lot of companies aren't actually able to capture all of the emissions. So there was a study done on Chevron's um, carbon capture and storage programs in WA in Western Australia. And they were finding that they only captured about 1.8 to 2% of total emissions. So yes, it's potentially a solution, for you know a sustainable source of energy and a sustainable way to produce hydrogen but it's the technology isn't allowing it to capture enough of the carbon to really have a more positive impact on the environment and that's where you come out with green hydrogen and so green hydrogen is the sort of the newest way to produce hydrogen it's probably the most important and it's what a lot of you know um twiggy talks about andrew forrest talks about and it's made by zapping water with electric current and that electric current is done by a technology called an electrolyzer so what that does in sort of chemistry terms is it splits hydrogen and oxygen and by splitting water in this way that's called an electrolysis and essentially green hydrogen is produced and to your point it has a zero carbon footprint all it does is it produces steam so on one side, it splits out the oxygen and that's the steam. And on the other side, it splits that you know, water and produces hydrogen and that hydrogen can be stored and put into fuel cells. But the cost of green hydrogen is really expensive. Um, it's halved in, in, you know, since 2010, um, the cost, and it's coming down. And yes, as more corporations, as more companies look towards developing more of this technology and researching into the idea of electrolyzers and you know, ITM is a UK-based company. They're one of the leaders in this space. And Fortescue is obviously looking to do more in this and their recent announcement in um, the big project in Queensland. But that's where the future is because if it produces zero carbon footprint, you know, that is important. And I think the other thing just with green hydrogen is that you need power to power up that electrolyzer. So that power needs to come from a renewable energy source. So something like solar, wind, et cetera, that's where that needs to come from. If you're still using power from, you know, the grid, which is being, you know, still harmful to the environment, well, then it's not pure green hydrogen. So pure green hydrogen is using a renewable energy source to power up that electrolyzer to then produce that hydrogen. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so that's kind of like where I got to in my research was that basically the green hydrogen, it still involves a process before to extract the hydrogen, uh -huh. um, but it's just a cleaner, more effective way to do it. Um, I've heard, yeah, some concerns about companies taking um, like that byproduct and putting it underground as not necessarily being the most environmentally friendly uh, thing to do. 
uh, for many reasons. So that's really interesting too. So I really appreciate the context there. Can you, can we switch gears now and talk about how do we, so this is the kind of thematic, we know what um, green hydrogen is and we know what the kind of hydrogen economy is and how it's going to be a big deal. I think uh, there was a, a research note you guys put out, which basically says that it's, it could be as big as $11 trillion, um, you know, over the long term. Um, what are the types of companies and, and what are some examples of companies that operate in this industry and, and, and what do they do? Um, and I know you, you can just go straight into some of the, the companies that are inside the ETF. Yeah, sure. So essentially within the hydrogen economy, um, it's still a very infant economy. So we call this type of um, invest, this thematic a greenfield investment opportunity. It's very much in its um, infancy stage. It's not like where we may say battery technology is right now, which is a little bit more developed as more established companies. Technology is a bit more developed as well. Um, within hydrogen, the industry and the economy, it's still you know early stages, but it's companies that are producing fuel cells. So these are engines basically that's used to turn hydrogen into electricity and energy so yes you can produce the hydrogen which we've talked about using electrolyzers but how do you then take that hydrogen to actually make it a useful output um, you know a power source and that's where fuel cells come into it you have companies that produce electrolyzers um, like itn you have companies that are producing refueling stations and essentially, they're basically like petrol stations, but for hydrogen. And so this is where, you know, ships and other vehicles can come and refuel their hydrogen tanks. You've got companies involved in ammonia or green ammonia. And then you've got that sort of, the sort of, uh, sort of a bit of a long tail as well. So a few examples um, that, that are worth noting are things like, say, AFC Energy. Now, AFC Energy, they actually are a UK-based company. Um, they've got only about a 1.2% weight in the portfolio as at sort of 11th October um, 2021 in the, in the HGen ETF, but they produce al scalable alkaline fuel cell systems. And what they've actually done, and this is actually interesting for people that are going, well, do I take battery or do I take hydrogen? You know, is it one or the other? AFC Energy has struck up a partnership with ABB, so a lot of people know who ABB are um, and they're developing products for the electric vehicle charging market. So they're essentially developing this technology which charges electric vehicles using hydrogen. So it's a great synergy in terms of both the hydrogen play and the battery tech play. Um, another company um, that a lot of people will know within the hydrogen space is Plug Power. So it's probably one of the most famous in the hydrogen economy. It's a UK, a US-based company, sorry. Um, they make fuel cells. So their fuel cells at the moment are primarily used to you know, power forklifts, so electric forklifts. Um, so again, it's still electric forklifts, but it's being powered by hydrogen. So this again is the idea behind it. And some of their top customers are companies like Amazon, Home Depot, and Walmart. And they're looking to actually go beyond that value chain and they're acquiring, you know, green hydrogen producers. Um, and two other companies and just quickly touch on, one is called Nell ASA um, and Nell is a Norwegian company. So Nell is actually, it's interesting because the Nordic uh, countries like, you know, Iceland, Norway, et cetera, they're probably one of the biggest, you know, promoters of hydrogen power. And, you know, Iceland, I believe, are wanting to be completely hydrogen power by 2030. So if we want to look at, you know, countries and governments as an example, probably sometimes it's best to look to the Nordics 
Um, but Nell is, you know, they run the largest electrolyzer plant in Norway. Um, you know, historically, they're one of the oldest to produce hydrogen from water. And they also run one of the largest factories that makes hydrogen refueling stations. And they've also recently working with Nikola. So Nikola is Tesla's competitor to produce the electrolyzers at their refueling stations. So widening, widening out, again, that hydrogen infrastructure. And then, you know, finally, a, a really interesting company is um, Doosan Fuel Cell. So again, Doosan's a, a Korean company. So what I've just, you know, we've got a Norwegian company, a UK, a US, and now a Korean company. Um, but they've been, Doosan's been um, producing fuel cells. So it's Doosan Fuel Cell, and they're building hydrogen-powered drones, which essentially can fly a lot longer than batteries. And that's the, the beauty of hydrogen power versus battery power. It's got a lot longer life. Um, and Doosan fuel cell is actually one of the largest hydrogen fuel cell makers. So it's really interesting to see the hydrogen economy. It's still, again, as I mentioned, it's still in its infancy, but it is purely a global economy. Um, and at the moment, there are no Australian names in the ETF. Um, never say never, though. Um, but that is, you know, something to, to be considerate of that, you know, it is very much, you know, at the moment, hydrogen companies or associated companies are dominated by Korea, Europe and the US. Yeah, it's interesting to see so much um, of the portfolio allocated to to the UK because normally when we look at global ETFs, they the, the the weightings typically US and then there might be you know China and some other uh, markets in there. But um, Britain, um, as in for country allocation at the time of recording, is twenty six percent of the ETF, whereas the United States is twenty seven point eight and South Korea seventeen. Actually, when I was doing some prep for this episode. I actually saw fuel cell energy on the, the US um, energy department's uh, website, as in all their explainers um, showed fuel cell energy, which is the company on the NASDAQ under the ticker code FCEL, which I know is in the ETF as well, which, um, yeah, it's just fascinating to, to kind of explore all of this, this sector. Um, how about in terms of the portfolio itself and how you construct it? Um, we talked previously about Semi, which, is, which has a um, kind of like 30 companies. I think this one has quite a few more, if I'm not mistaken. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the portfolio itself um, and any kind of analytics around that? Yeah, so HGen also includes 30 companies. Um, oh, it's 30. Yeah, it, it is 30 as well. But it, it, we um, the index that we track is the Sol Active Global Hydrogen ESG Index. So, you know, to, to break it down, essentially, it is companies from developed markets plus Taiwan and Korea. And the reason why we've looked beyond just the developed markets and included Taiwan and Korea is because of the developments in this space within those countries. But it looks at companies that are across the value chain of the hydrogen space. So it includes, you know, fuel cells, refueling stations, electrolyzers and, and more. Um, what's really important, though, is that how do you identify a hydrogen, you know, company? So with thematics, it's really difficult to go, okay, is there an industry classification for hydrogen? Um, for a new thematic such as this, there isn't. So what do we do? So we worked with Solactive and Solactive have, you know, a proprietary sort of language algorithm that they use. And they essentially do sort of, you know, apply this algorithm, look for keywords amongst different companies and you know, looking at different records, et cetera. And they try to identify the companies associated with the hydrogen theme using that keyword search. So they basically create this universe of what they believe are hydrogen associated companies. So once you've got that, you then go down the path of going, okay, well, 
there needs to be a minimum size that these companies have to be. So the minimum size for any new entrant in this um, index is 100 million US, and they have to be trading at least a million dollars a day for the previous six months as well. So the average daily value traded has to be 1 mil US as well. So then you've got a, more, a smaller subset. And then the next part is to go, and again, because of, you know, we talked about brown, we talked about gray hydrogen, they make hydrogen from fossil fuels. How do we exclude those companies? And that was really important to us because there isn't enough green hydrogen companies around or companies associated with green hydrogen. It is a space that will be potentially the future of the hydrogen economy, but it's not enough to build an investable universe around. So whilst the ETF is well positioned to take advantage of green hydrogen in the future, right now we wanted to try and exclude companies that are very much deriving revenue from fossil fuels and you know oil companies, et cetera, that try to diversify. And we've seen a few oil companies, by the way, that what they've tried to do is, and we invest in the new companies that all companies have set up that are just focused on hydrogen, but we don't invest in the oil companies. And that's really important. So, you know, we, the index applies an ESG screen. So the ESG screen basically screens out, you know, any companies involved in thermal coal, any companies involved in controversial weapons, which is important to note because when we've looked at other hydrogen ETFs offshore, we've seen some companies that we don't have exposure to. And the reason being is because they didn't pass our ESG screens. You know, we don't have any fossil fuel companies. So any company that derives revenue from fossil fuel manufacturing or mining, they don't feature in this index. Um, you know, that's really important from, from where we stood um, on this. So the last part is you come out with what is then 30 companies based on their market size. And essentially you have a two tier weighting system. And the two tier weighting system is pure plays and non-pure plays. So a pure play company is a company that's a fuel cell an equipment and tech provider or a thermal and chemical processing machinery maker. So their companies are really much focused. Like Plug Power is a pure play. They can have a maximum weight of 10% in the portfolio. And non-pure play is a company that's not associated with those sub-industries that I've just mentioned. And their maximum weight is 4%. So again, we've tried to tilt this as much towards pure plays within the portfolio but again, you can't exclude other companies that are associated with this space because it is still very much a new thematic and there are you know, newer players coming into it. So a bit different to say the semiconductor, which is a mature industry, very high minimums in terms of market caps, et cetera, you know, very easy to define with this thematic, there has to be a bit more structure around the index methodology. I thought it was interesting when I was reading through it, how, um, the companies are identified by searching the websites and through searching through public filings. I, I feel like that's a very interesting way to automate and use kind of um, pattern recognition, you know, straight out of the gate rather than using a standard universe, which is when we, you know, if it's in this sector, then do that kind of thing. This is a much more kind of organic way to build that universe up. And um, it also means that a lot of companies can't hide, right? In terms of this, the in terms of where they fit in the in the gig sectors or whatever, um, they kind of just they have to publish material. They have to be talking about these things. They have to be benefiting from it directly to get included. And then you overlay that ESG uh, screen on there too, which adds another layer of like a stringency to it. Um, how about in terms of using the portfolio? We've got a management fee of zero point six nine percent 
uh, per year, which is pretty standard across most thematic ETFs. Um, domiciled here in Australia, annual distributions, um, rebalancing every six months. How would an investor consider positioning this in the portfolio? It's a relatively new ETF, so it's only hit the ASX recently. How would they go about this? So the, the way in which we see this being used, as I said, because it's a greenfield investment opportunity, it is a growth play. It is a megatrend. So again, when we talk about megatrend, it's long-term. We don't see this for investors using it tactically. And if you actually looked at the performance, you know, when we launched the fund, it was actually negative for the previous six months, three to six months from the date in which we launched. Yes, over the one year, it's done positive 40%. So there will be periods within thematics there'll be negative performance. Um, but over the long term, if you believe that this megatrend has a space and will succeed, then companies associated with that megatrend will do well. So that's, that's important to note um, that where we see you know, the, the time frame of it. In terms of allocations, we see it as a satellite. So it's a complement to your existing building blocks within a portfolio. It's a growth play. It has a smaller allocation than what you might put towards um, some of your, those building blocks. Um, but and it's also important, we get asked this question, well, do I have to, you know, replace another thematic? You know, we've done some analysis and this particular ETF of HGen has no crossover to any of our other thematic ETFs. So HGen has no crossover in terms of the stocks to ACDC. There's no crossover to say, you know, semiconductors, a semi-ETF. There's no crossover to robo. So in theory, you can allocate to multiple different themes as long as you're understanding the difference um, and the stock overlaps between them. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. Just just being mindful of where a lot of people have that. They have two ETFs, like two indexed ETFs, like really vanilla ETFs. Yep. And then you'd look at the portfolio and you'd be like, well, why do you have two of the same thing? It's not really, you know, really diversified. Okay, right. So... Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting ETF, relatively new, and it's clearly something that is very important to a lot of people because um, so much trading activity in such an early kind of innings for the for the ETF itself. Um, so this is a HGEN ETF, H-G-E-N. We've got um, some links that we'll put in the show notes to a white paper um, that Kanish and the team have put together. Otherwise, you can head to etfsecurities.com.au where you can find out more about uh, not just HGen, but all the other ETFs uh, Kanish just mentioned. So there's, um, you can see actually what's inside it, uh, the ETF. So you can click on the list and see exactly what's what's in, buried inside the ETF. Um, I find that's a great way just to get to know some of the companies as well. So Kanish Chug from ETF Securities, mate, always a pleasure to chat. Thanks for coming on the show. Cheers, Alan.